So I grew up in a mostly adult environment. I didn't have many child child friends. Most of my friends were my parents' friends, if that makes sense. And they were literally magicians, ventriloquists, jugglers, sword swallowers, all these wacky people. I'm great now in social situations, but I wasn't as a kid. And I was bullied a lot at school, bad, pretty badly bullied at school. Um, and what, but that was the best thing that ever happened to me. I learned um, trumpet, piano, saxophone, clarinet, drums. Yeah, and I can confidently say that you leave behind any teenager when it comes to pursuing different hobbies. It's my sort of background and my story that I think is more interesting. But set sure. design is boring. Hello. Hello, it's great to have you, Andy, sir. Thank you. I'm just making sure everything's set up here. You can hear me great, I assume. Sure, yeah. And yeah. currently, are you live from New York or Las Vegas? Because I heard that you are working on Nick Cannon's show. Yeah, I'm actually in New York. I arrived three days ago and I'm here for a month. So this is my hotel room. And wow, wonderful. Day off. Okay, yeah, it's Saturday. It's the party night, as we say. Yeah, well, and yeah, I've got lots of work to do after I've done this with you but at least i'm not in the studio today so this is perfect timing really good and i'm so glad to have you as our guest all i want to say is that during any part of this conversation if you want to address me my name is parth or you can call me the hairy guy or whatever name pops into your mind and i'm currently live from new delhi india i like i like hairy guy that's a good nickname Sure, we are like the totally polar personalities here. I'm here looking like a Bigfoot's brother and yeah, you're on I, there. I could do with some of your hair. You're looking like a million dollars is what I want to say. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. So do you want me to introduce you? Uh, yes, please, if you don't mind. Sure. Today we have with us a legendary set designer. If you enjoy watching America's Got Talent, he's the guy who came up with the initial set. If you enjoy watching American Idol, he's the person who came up with the initial design. And if you like watching Who Wants to Be a Millionaire or whatever version of that airs in your country, he's the guy behind it and his sets have been copied in over 100 plus countries. Even though his work is imitated, still we have with us a guy who could never be duplicated. Yes, we have with us Andy Wormsley. And sir, before starting, all I want to say is, normally people like to say this after the conversation, but I know I would give myself many opportunities to mess this up. Mm -hmm. That for the past week, I've been reading about you and more than your work, all your amazing work, which people can check out on your website, whose link would be in the description of this episode. What I found exciting and wonderful is your past and what kind of childhood you had. And I can't wait to dive deep into it. So thank you for taking out time for this. Yeah, thank you for asking me. And, and also you bring up such a good point. I'm proud of my career and my work and all that, but that's kind of the boring side of my life. It, it's my sort of background and my story that I think is more interesting. But set sure. design is boring. But, but, <laughs> okay. but the, weird, the weird stuff that happened to me in my life is really interesting, I think. Well, you've been designing, I believe, to be exact, this is your 38th year as a set designer. And you've been designing such amazing stitches. Yeah, I'm actually saying the number 38 to hide your actual age. Because the last thing which I want is to make our guests feel old. Although I look much older than you with this facial hair. You know? 
You um, you know a lot more about me and my career than I do. I <laughs> oh, yeah, well, so more than thirty years, actually. I read on your website that uh, during 2019 it was your 36th year, so that's where I got the number 38. Right. I did, exactly, I did the right. maths on my own. And talking about knowing you better, I mean, I'm a certified stalker, and this is <laughs> a, this is a great thing for me. And I do want to say this before starting for all the people out there that I'm so happy to have you because you're the most enthusiastic guest I had. I asked that what you would like to talk about, and you sent this whole six and a half GB of your keynote picks, and I can't wait to talk more about that. And but to begin, I just want to know that you have been doing this work for almost four decades now, and I truly appreciate your work ethic, and more than that, your persistence. That how you came from humble beginnings and built yourself up. Are you able to balance out this time with your family? because i've read that many creative people have a difficult time you know balancing these two things at once well i've been a bachelor really my entire life and really married to my career which is kind of a cliche but it's true a lot of people who are, are very driven say that they say i'm married to my career and um, but i did actually get married 3 years ago so i'm finally married i have a wife no kid i have a very cute little dog who's basically my kid so that does help and like you say to balance otherwise when i was single I would just work round the clock. I mean, I, st I still kind of do, but but it, but having a wife and a dog, having to walk the dog even is is yeah. enough to stop yeah. me working, even if it's just for twenty, thirty minutes. And it's amazing what that does to your uh, brain, just to stop and calm down. So I didn't have that discipline. I was very disciplined to work, but I didn't have the discipline to stop until I got married, sort of three, four years ago. So any single yeah. um, workaholic. obsessive people out there i highly recommend find a partner yeah or else get a cute little dog even while i was reading about you i came to know that you like doing things on a massive scale not just in your professional work but also in your personal life for those of you out there look at the way he proposed to his wife by having her name printed on the westgate display in las vegas all i want to know is how many amys did you run into or had to dodge through to find the right one was it easy to find the right amy or i told her we were going i think it was it was her birthday of course it was and um i told her of course we're going out for a nice birthday dinner so she got all dressed up because i knew she would kill me if she wasn't dressed up nice and i proposed and this photograph so there you go she got dressed up um and what you can't see this is my old home where i used to live it was a high rise building and um the i was our balcony faced that hotel across the street so luckily i'd done some shows there and i had contacts there so i asked them would you mind putting it on the led billboard and it was only on for maybe 2 or 3 minutes so i had a very short window and amy she's called amy my wife she was in the bathroom getting ready for her birthday dinner and then i called her out quickly and said oh come and look at this and what you don't see in the photograph i also hired um a band a frank sinatra impersonator yeah. two musicians and they were downstairs so if you looked over the balcony there was a band singing a song called once in love with amy which is a frank sinatra song and <laughs> so yeah i tried to make it a production sure you know, sir that's what i do i work yeah. in show business right though i wasn't able to find out any images related to the band but like any teenager i was looking out for some juicy stuff you know just like any teenager would and out of those 
वन बिलियन पिक्चर्स यू सेंड मी आई कैन कॉन्फिडेंटली से अराउंड फाइव हंड्रेड मिलियन ऑफ दैम वर योर पिक्चर्स विद मापेट्स और शोइंग योर एडमायरेशन फॉर दीज पापेट्स बट बिफोर टॉकिंग अबाउट दैट वॉट आई फाइंड इवन मोर फैसिनेटिंग इज द काइंड ऑफ डायनेस्टी ऑफ परफॉर्मर्स यू वर बॉर्न एन टेक इट फ्रॉम योर ग्रेट ग्रैंड फादर फ्रेड वॉम्सली हु वॉज अ वेरी फेमस कॉमेडियन टू योर ग्रैंड मदर हु यूज टू प्ले पियानो फॉर साइलेंट मूवीज even your father who started out as a trumpet player and was quite successful at it at a very young age and then he shifted towards comedy and he was successful at that too and i have even read that both your great grandfather and father had a sort of a hollywood walk of fame in blackpool and they both had their own stars on it even though you have described your father as being just like any performer being in need of attention and you described this instance very beautifully that once you were coming home from school and you saw him tearing out the pamphlet on which his name was mentioned as the second most popular performer and he was tearing it out to put his name on the top and that what led you to not become a performer and even your mother who started out as a dancer and later on bought all these fire eating equipments and contacts was a great performer and you have described that she used to look like uh, that famous singer i forgot the name can you remind Cher. me share yeah i mean we're talking about the 1970s when my mom was at the height of her career at 70s and 80s and that's really when share was also at the height of her career so if you think today of someone like uh, i don't know Taylor Swift or you know that's share was the Taylor Swift of of that time sure so and if it's your mom, <laughs> if your mom looks like Taylor Swift that's basically what i grew up with right and it's great to see that all the good looks have traveled to you and <laughs> yeah right <laughs> <laughs> oh, i would do the what was your family's role in developing your creative side and making sure that you take these creative risks because when i see your work it's not only it's amazing but one can look at it and say this is andy wormsley's work and what was the role in developing your original original side because i've read that in many asian cultures people tend to see their originality as something not acceptable so i want to know what was your family's role in developing your originality well it not so much in the set design well no that's not true i mean what i should explain is you know i grew up with all of their friends so i grew up in a mostly adult environment i didn't have many child child friends most of my friends were my parents friends if that makes sense and they were literally magicians ventriloquists jugglers sword swallowers all these wacky people um and as a young impressionable kid especially when you're surrounded by adults you are you look up to them you know one week i wanted to be a juggler so i would be practicing juggling the next week i wanted to be a magician and the the my parents friends who were magicians mm. would teach me how to do it Then right I sir and uh, sorry to interrupt you even though your okay. voice sounds like music to my ears i read that every 6 months you wanted to be someone something new and all these oh, entertainers every 6 days every okay six <laughs> yeah or, or maybe may, yeah every 6 days every 6 weeks and and it, and it was a good influence because it taught me um a lot about show business um from acting to puppeteering and um I learned the unicycle, I learned the trapeze. I can't sing at all, so I uh, my friend my mum's friends were singers as well, but I never emulated them. But I was very into music as well. 
So I learned um, trumpet, piano, saxophone, clarinet, drums. Yeah, and I can confidently say that you leave behind any teenager when it comes to pursuing different hobbies. Take it from your early fascination with buckets full of water to your admiration for puppets, followed by your desire to become Jim Henson, the puppeteer's professional drummer. And there was even a time when you wanted to become a professional cameraman and you would observe these uh, sets made out of Lego pieces from different camera angles, which further led you to stumble upon set design and you chose to stick with it. I'm interested to know, for a child like you who was into so many activities, what was your social life like? Because I heard you share that most of your friends were quite older than you and you didn't have many friends of your own age. What was your academic and social life like in school, etc.? Well, terrible, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I mean I, obviously, as I grew up, I'm now relatively confident. I'm not shy. I mean, I'm, I'm great now in social situations, but I wasn't as a kid and I was bullied a lot at school, bad, pretty badly bullied at school. Um, and what, wow. But that was the best thing that ever happened to me because it made me withdraw, it made me shy, it made me, you know, keep quiet so that the bullies didn't pick on me, they picked on someone else. So what I did was I went home and, and I drew or I learned to play the drums. Or So I immersed myself in all of that at home rather than have a healthy group of friends, which is probably what I should have had. But if I'd have done that, and I went to kind of a rough school in England, so if I'd have been the bully and not the person being bullied, I probably would have had a really terrible life by now. I mean, a lot of those people are drug addicts or dead or had horrible lives. Right, and sir. And do uh, tell me that because I don't understand this, that even while you had a tiger as a pet, how could this guy be bullied? You know, and there's this such an interesting story that the tiger was performing on the same uh, circus where you used to hang out and she gave birth to a cub and ate it as it was immature and she didn't have enough milk to keep the cub alive. But when she gave birth to the second cub, they took it away and your mom said, we'll take care of him. And then you raised it. How long were you able to raise the cub before giving it to the trainer or some governmental authority? It was back, actually back to the trainer, but it wasn't long. It was um, maybe ten, eight or 10 weeks. They go from, you know, small, like a little house cat, to, to a large dog in eight or ten weeks. Wow. Um, so, yeah, it was a brief experience, but a crazy experience. I was, I think I was 13 at that time. So, yeah, very cool experience. But again, you see, instead of being out playing with children my age, I was indoors playing with the tiger. So I became very purposely isolated. But had those people not bullied me, I would never have had the career I've had. It made me so determined it, it made me spend my time alone learning these skills, but it also made me determine, like, I'll show you. And, and I did, basically. It's like I, every sure. time I do anything successful, I love to think back. And it sounds kind of vindictive, which maybe it is a little bit. But I like to think that, you know, I, I'm in New York right now, and those bullies are back in my hometown probably yeah, just smoking weed. Kind of, yeah, exactly. Yeah, and but you described that you were not that much involved in social what, life and sports. Didn't you ever try to? Yeah, didn't you ever try to take out the tiger on the road like Mike Tyson and sort of scare away the children playing, you know, on the court or something? No, we did take. Uh, my mother became very obsessed with learning about tigers and wild cats, 
And of course, this was before the internet. So she went to the library every week or two and got all these books out on tigers and lions and wild animals so she could learn. And unfortunately, the tiger ate one of the books. So we got what was left of that book and we went back to the library and we took the tiger with us. Because, you know, can you imagine going to a library and saying, I'm sorry about your book, but a tiger ate it. So <laughs> a lot of tigers where you live, but where I grew up, there was no tigers. Oh, so, the way uh, they are getting poached here, there are not many left. And yeah, selling, exactly, giving yeah. a book that is being bitten by a tiger, I mean, sell it on eBay. You must make some great money. So yeah. besides from that, well, who do you think had the most influence on you in terms of your family? Because I read that you talk a lot about your mother, even though all you are born in this dynasty of performers. So who really impacted you a lot? Definitely my mother, because they, my mom and dad divorced when I was pretty young. So of course, and especially when you're young, obviously you naturally sort of go towards your mother anyway, but they completely split up. I naturally never saw my father ever again. Um, so I was really bonded with my mom. And what was I your would, age at the time? Oh, God. You know, I don't know. Probably maybe 10, 9 or 10, something like that. So quite young. So, yeah. So, of course, my mom was my biggest influence. And, you know, she was a really hard worker. And particularly after they divorced, she was struggling for money. Um, so we, you know, we were, I wouldn't say poor. You know, we could afford to eat, but, but pretty much fairly poor. And... Um, Maybe this is a, something you were going to bring up later in the interview, but I walked home one day and my mum was um, at home cutting up cornflake packets and putting the, the, the cutout piece of cardboard in her shoes because there were hole in her, holes in her shoes. And that moment was a huge moment for me because um, at the time I didn't kind of feel sorry for her. I thought, oh, my mum's kind of clever. That's, that's a smart thing to do. So it wasn't that I felt sorry for her, but it really stuck with me. And for years and years, it was like, I'll never do that. I'm going to work so hard that I never have to put cornflake packet cardboard in my shoes. So it was a, a real good lesson I, to learn. I love it, sir. And it's so wonderful to hear. And talking about your work, you know, in coming years or even decades from now on, many aspiring set designers would look at the contributions you did to this whole industry and look up to you as their heroes. And isn't it great to see that you look up to your mother as your hero, you know, who oh, yeah. gave you this urge to not just be successful financially, but also make a name out of yourself through your work. And she, she was a really hard worker as well, really hard. So, yeah, I think that's where I got the hard work from, not just the determination that I want to be able to afford to buy shoes when my shoes get old but also just to work hard. I mean, she really did teach me that. But you talk about sort of perfect... We're maybe jumping a little bit ahead now, but professional sure. professional heroes would be John Napier, the British theatre designer. Absolutely no question. I wouldn't be sat here now without John Napier. He was really, when I was, um, by then I would be 15, 16, 17 years old. He was designing all the big shows in the 80s, Cats, Les Miserables. Um, so did you, did you get to meet him in person? Never. Never, oh. never met him. I'd love to. I did actually walk past him once um, at the back of a theater, like, and I was probably staring at him like some kind of psycho. And he did make eye contact with me, probably because I was staring weird. So we did walk past each other, but so far I've never met him. I'd love to meet him. 
Yeah, it's sad to know that all our heroes or people whom we look up to, it's really rare to, you know, kind of meet them in person. Even my heroes like Robin Williams, Don Rickles, like enjoy watching them. And these were the kind of people, you know, whom I wanted a chance to just appreciate whatever they are doing. And they were going through such a hard life themselves. I'm curious to know because I read that both of your parents passed away before you won your Emmy in 2010. So... Was your mother able to see you succeed in this world of set design? Yeah, she passed away very, both of them died very young. Um, and she passed away really just after I did my first big show, theater show. So she was aware of it. But it, this is a long, complicated story, which is probably way too depressing to get into. But me and my mom had actually fallen out. We were no longer speaking even. So I know from other family members that she knew that I'd done my first big show in the West End in London, but we weren't even talking. So there's there's that side of my life, which unfortunately is quite not yeah. sad. I mean, this happens to a lot of people. A lot of families fall out. Sure, um, and I have seen it in case of many creative people like you that this really? comes into, you know, comes into the sequence. And you talk about having a depressive life instance you can't find anything more depressing than my own life i mean i can't get rid of all this facial hair can imagine <laughs> i literally have to go there just lie down on the garden so that the gardener open up his gardening machine and just rolls down on my back yeah it's it's a sad life uh, still you know and i want to make sure that you are comfortable sharing this but what do you think uh, was the moment that led to not being in contact with your mother? Because in the end, a person wants their parents to at last feel proud of them, especially a person who is in a creative pursuit, which is sometimes looked at it with a vision of downness when compared to STEM fields like engineering, etc. Right. Yeah, I mean, it was... Uh... From what I, I mean, it's funny, you know, I'm very good at blocking things out of my head and erasing bad memories. But from what I remember, the very little I remember, she wanted me to, to do a radio show with, that she was doing. And she was like, she knew that I'd gotten this show in the West End and she wanted me to, to go on this radio show. And I still today, I mean, it's a miracle I'm doing this with you. I don't like doing, I mean, I've done some radio shows. I refuse to do TV. So, for example, on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, there was a documentary made about that show and how it was made. And I refused to be on it. I really annoyed the producer because I didn't want to be on it. So I don't like doing interviews. And, and like I said before, I'm not really shy. I just don't like it. So it was a very silly, petty argument, really, with my mom that she was trying to force me to do this radio show with her, which was partially about her career. But she wanted to sort of celebrate that I just got this big theatre show in London. Um, right. And I just didn't want to do it. We had this big argument and it was really silly. And most people after a few days or even maybe a few weeks would have made friends again. But she was very stubborn and I'm not blaming her because I'm also very stubborn. So you get two stubborn people who were like refusing to make friends. And then she passed away only like a year later. Yeah. So it was, and, and in some respects, of course, I really regret that I didn't in that year especially when I heard she was sick. I mean, this is going to make me sound like a horrible person, but, um, you know, I still didn't reach out to her even when, well, that's not it's partially true, partially not true. She also refused to see me when she was sick. Um, but there's so, this um, so, very sir, selfish, uh, there's, sorry, just because it's kind of important. There's this very selfish part of me that 
is pleased I didn't see her because she died of cancer. And from what I understand, she obviously, like, unfortunately, most people looked horrible towards the end. So the selfish part of me, I don't have, I, I don't have that image in my head of her looking sick. I just have, I actually have really happy memories of her. So even though we fell out at the end, I'm not bitter at all. I mean, she was, I wouldn't have been the person I am without her at all. So I owe her a lot. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird situation. Sure. Were you able to, like you said, that your mother used to be such a grinder in order to make sure that all of you have foods, all of you have food to eat. So were you able to make her settle in a nice situation where she doesn't have to worry about the financial trouble and all that? Yeah, at least she knew. My career was still very, very new. I was really just starting off, but at least she must have been able to think to herself, well, his career is now well and truly started. He'll be fine. So yeah, yeah, I guess there is that as well. And for those of you out there, you know, many people like to say when a person becomes successful that he, she had all this advantage starting like you shared all these instances that you are a complete self-made person and take it from the kind of humble life that you had this is your house i believe where the top part was rented out to performers who would come each week yeah. and teach you their trades and then going on we see that in college when you decided to pursue self-designing you had to take a student loan and side by side you were working friday saturday Sorry, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, you were working as a stagehand in summers and you were working in Blackpool and winters, you were doing the Victoria Hall. And it's uh, wonderful to hear all this uh, struggle that is going through. So, sir, talk to me a bit about sacrifices, the sacrifices that you took, which a normal teenager of your age wouldn't take. Because even while I look at your office, I mean, this looks like a place which would arouse someone like Nikola Tesla. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, the really the only sacrifices was my childhood friends and not being great socially with other children. I was good, like I said earlier, socially with adults, but not with children, ironically. So yeah, I never really had that growing up experience that most people have, and I worked really hard, especially in my forties, to to make sure that I'm good socially. I mean, I'm not saying I was awkward socially in my 20s or 30s, but I was so busy working. When I moved to Las Vegas in my 40s, I decided, right, this is it. I'm going to live the life I should have lived in my 20s, even though I'm in my 40s. And that was my wild time of drinking and womanizing and being crazy in Las Vegas for 10 years. That's but, all finished uh, now. Yeah, but. <laughs> sir, sir, but weren't you grateful for that part of your life where you avoided? Because in my case, I also see that I had to keep my circle a bit small in order to be focused towards what I do. So weren't you able grateful for that? Because that is what eventually led a kid from Blackpool to now settle in Las Vegas and give a great, you know, upbringing to your future kids also. Well, there's one thing for sure is I'll never be having any kids. I actually had a vasectomy uh, several years ago um, because I don't ever want kids. I don't hate kids. I love other people's kids. Um, and there is, a, again, a, a kind of guilt element with me that I'm not... You mentioned this dynasty in my family, my great-grandfather, my grandfather, my grandmother, my dad, my mom, all in show business. And, of course, it's all going to end with me, unfortunately. So I'm not continuing that that dynasty. Um, but thank God, I think, because if I had a kid, I'd probably be a horrible father. I'd probably be making them learn to play drums and to draw and to perform puppets and 
to tap dance and I'd be the worst father ever probably. But wouldn't you be the kind of guy, uh, father who would just make their kids, you know, pursue what they like or what their interest goes in, whether it is something aligned with your vision or not? Hopefully I would, yeah. And I, and I did learn that from my parents. And, and before they divorced, both my mum and dad and then after my mum were so supportive. Like you said earlier, if I had a phase, oh, this week I want to be a, uh, I can't even think of something, uh, a plate spinner then they would literally let me break their plates. And this happened, by the way. They would let me get a piece of bamboo stick and try plate spinning. I mean, you never see that anymore. But back when I was a kid on TV, you'd see the guy like spinning the plates on a stick. So they would let me break the plates and do that. And then the week after, I want to be a ventriloquist dummy. And they buy me an old broken ventriloquist uh, dummy, sorry, um, so that I could try and learn that. And then two weeks later... They try and encourage me to be a tap dancer or whatever. So they were very good at, you know, they didn't force any of that on me. It was whatever I wanted to do. They really encouraged. So maybe I would. If I had kids, maybe I would do that. Yeah, it's great to hear that. And talking about that earlier, I read somewhere that you used to enjoy, you know, working with your assistants. But now in this technological era, all your work is done online. And you describe how you would go for, you know, this afternoon lunch with your assistants or dance down the street on music stuff like that now you know when all this stuff especially during due to the pandemic all the stuff is going online how are you able to relax yourself are any of your hobbies still going on uh, yeah i mean this is where we go back to puppets again i'm, I'm somewhat obsessed with not all puppets but mostly the muppets jim henson's muppets so um, it's kind of a little pathetic, but, you know, some guys my age are obsessed with Star Wars or um, the Avengers or I'm obsessed with the Muppets. So, yeah, one of my things is um, I like to, like, play with puppets and I should I don't have any here wow. with me in New York. Yeah, I do, and I but... want to share this wonderful instance. I even said this earlier that you sent me the zip file, which was six and a half GBs of pictures. And I came to know that uh, you got your and first job at the age of 15 when Paul Daniels used to come and see you create these Lego sets, which you observe from different camera angles when you were going through your phase of, you know, being a cameraman. And that got you into set design. And I honestly want to say that you sent me the six and a half GB file and half of those photos are filled with these Muppets and all that. I mean, I myself used to like ventriloquism, but then I turned 15 and it was over. But in your case, it has traveled through and you described this image on the screen as the proudest moment of your life when you got yeah. to design the Jim Henson show and even play the puppet. And not only this, the one day they needed an extra hand. So you kind of volunteered and the guy who was assisting you, he said, you, you look like a pro and you were just basking in your own pride, not revealing that you've been doing it since you were... 11, 12. So what, I want to know, what is it about puppeteering that really makes you so happy? Because I see your uh, image with this life-size Muppet. And I know, you know, you had a great marriage and you were smiling in all those pictures. But this is a different kind of smile. I've never seen a man look this happy. And <laughs> even the puppet is more sad than you. So what is it about Muppets or puppets that still keeps you turned on I d i've learned over the years uh, which makes me feel less like a freak that a lot of um performers and a lot of people who work in show business 
started with puppets and and had a little puppet theater when they were kids. It, it's it's kind of interesting how many people did start that way. So even I don't know Robin what it is. Williams. Really, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, I I learn more all the time of that. You know, there'll be a kid in a in their garage playing with puppets, and then years later they realize, oh well, I enjoyed that performing. I mean, for me, it's um, it's that the attention is not on me. I'm performing, and everybody's watching this, not me. And that's what I am as a set designer. I love to get the attention because somebody walks into a theater or a TV studio and sees my set. I mean, I've had this happen several times where I'll be sat in a theater and it's one of my shows and there's people sat next to me and they're talking about the set. And of course they don't know that I designed it. And I love that. They're talking about, you know, they're feeding my ego. Oh, look how great the set is. But they're not looking at me, they're looking at my work. And that's what a puppeteer is. They're hiding behind something and, and you know, look at the puppet, not me. So it's a way of performing. Being a set designer is kind of like a performer because you are showing off. You're saying, look at this. Although sure. not all sets are like that. Some sets are the opposite. Some sets have to be the back, very much the background and don't draw attention. Yeah, even uh, while in order to relax yourself. So can you do both the male and female puppet voice or all your characters uh, I, are male? I'm not very good at voices at all. I mean, I try <laughs> a little bit, but I'm a very good puppeteer. I mean, I could be a professional Henson puppeteer tomorrow. I've been doing it since I was 12. Um, so I'm really good at that, but I'm terrible at the voices. So I would never get hired by Hensons. But we should explain maybe a little bit, because I, again, I think it's a very interesting part of my life that sure. um, I had all these obsessions as a kid. So one of them being Hensons uh, or the Muppets. And I would my bedroom wall was covered with pictures of the Muppets. And I wasn't so much interested in the show. It was how they made the show. I was obsessed with right, how the technical side. Yeah. So anytime there was any pictures in a magazine, I would rip them out, stick them on my wall. And, you know, I'm a real big believer in the law of attraction, um, which is something I didn't even know about until 10 years ago. But I've been doing it my whole life without knowing it. So by laying in bed as a, as a kid and looking at all these pictures of Jim Henson and the puppet, I was more interested in the puppeteers than the puppets. It was like, who are the guys behind the scenes making this happen? So I had pictures of them. They so were my pinups. I really find this rather interesting about you that you were really good at law of attraction and you didn't know it. And yeah. the moment you realize it, you went, I've been practicing it my whole life. And I read that at the age of 13, you used to create these sets out of Lego pieces and observe them for different camera angles. So what was it about state design that made it different from other hobbies that you pursued that you chose to stick with it? Did you imagine okay. all this happening that you will design these American Idol, win an Emmy and all that? Not really. Let me just go back one second, sorry, just to complete that thought on the Muppets. It's, sure. It's, I think it's really important. So, yeah, so the, the, to, to make a long story short, you know, I'm obsessing over these pictures of the Muppets and that's going in my head and I'm playing with puppets at home. And then just 10 years later, I'm working with Jim Henson. I mean, that's no coincidence. That's, you know, it's because I was focusing all my thoughts on Jim Henson and then all of a sudden by magic. And it wasn't, um, you know, I, uh, to just very briefly, I went for my first job interview the day I left college and I luckily got the job, but I didn't you know what the, the job You missed the graduation, was. I believe. Yeah, I missed all my graduation and all that stuff because I had to get on a train and go for this interview. 
And I knew I was going to be assisting a designer on a TV show. That's all I knew. And they offered me the job, which was amazing. I mean, I got a job the day after I left college. Incredible. But as I was leaving, and I was very nervous, you know, my first ever interview. And I said to them, oh, what, what will the show be that I'm going to be working on? And they said, oh, a new Jim Henson puppet project. So it not, it's not like I pursued working for Jim Henson. It literally happened as destiny. And anyway, now to answer your question about the set design, and that was the same with that. I, I, all my life, things I've obsessed over, I got. And sometimes it takes a week. Sometimes it takes 10 years. But for some reason, everything that I become utterly obsessed with becomes true. And, and so the same with set design. As you say, I was making the little Lego models. And then eventually I, I started using cornflake packets. We're back to cornflake packet cardboard. I would cut open cornflake packets and, and draw on the inside and, and make models. Wow. Um, so again, it's that kind of obsession, I think, that it makes reality happen. I mean, of course, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm seizing opportunities my entire life. That's very important. If something like, if an opportunity comes, you should absolutely grab it and worry about it sure. later. Sir, and uh, do explain me, what do you mean by obsession? Does it mean that you imagine it in your mind or you are the kind of person who just goes and knocks at every door for that opportunity? Well, I've become that since, yeah. But when I was younger, I wasn't knocking on doors. I didn't know how to. I was probably too scared to. But things just, opportunities just came to me. And I believe that's, yeah, I mean, sure, maybe I was lucky. But I think it's because I was obsessing so much. You know, if you get very deep into quantum physics, which is what the law of attraction is supposed to be, it is supposed to be that, you know, everything is weight, radio waves and... right. Whatever you think about is, I mean, this is real. We're getting into hippie territory now. But um, there is... You're talking to the biggest hippie here. <laughs> yeah. We're back to the hairy thing again. But yeah, um, but yeah there, there is sort of science behind it that I don't truly understand. I've read some books on it, actually, but I don't truly understand it. But somehow, if you spend enough time... I mean, I keep using the word obsessing, but just thinking about what you want to do... And it does help for me because I'm a visual person to have pictures. So I'd always have pictures on my bedroom wall. And and um, and honestly, the same goes for my wife. I, I had a very, very, very distinctive image of what I thought my wife would be one day. And, you know, I always fantasized about that kind of girl. And then sure enough, my wife is like... I, so a friend of mine three days ago sent me a, a, an image that he'd found on Facebook from years ago. And it was me and him in a store and I was holding a picture of a Barbie doll. And and he put on the caption when he posted this on Facebook. This was like six, seven years ago. Yeah. Uh, you know, and Andy's future wife. And I'm holding this box with a Barbie in it. And it says Andy's future wife. And then sure, you know, sure enough, my actual wife looks like the doll that was in the box. But again, that's not that's just because I was constantly visualizing even down to my wife or right. now. I'm hoping next year to buy a house. And so now I'm doing that with houses. I'm like literally looking at pictures all day long. I'm on all these websites and, and I'm visualizing what maybe my house could look like. So it'd be interesting to see when I hopefully get my house next year. Uh, well, Good you know, I've, for never you. Lived, yeah. I've never lived in a house my entire life. I mean, when I was a kid, 
but my entire life I've lived in apartments. So finally, I hope to have a house next year. And let's see if it ends up looking like one of these pictures I've been staring at for the last two years. Sure, and I'll be looking forward to the pictures of your upcoming home, or as I like to say, I'll keep on stalking you. Talking about law of attraction, it's so great to hear that you used it not just in achieving your professional milestones, but also in finding the right woman and the way things are going for me, forget women. So that's where I can really use the law of attraction. Still, proceeding on, it was so great to hear that uh, after designing Buddy, you became the youngest set designer at the West End, which is Broadway for England. And I came to know that the said Buddy was inspired from 1950s America, which was filled with banners and posters of advertisement. So I genuinely want to know this, that while you are designing these sets, is it an unconscious process for you that even while you're sitting at the back seat of the car and looking at all the buildings and shops pass by, you're thinking to yourself, I have so many ideas popping out that I can make this city look so beautiful and exceptional that even if the Kardashians are walking on the other side of the road, no one would give a penny for them. Or is it something that you consciously developed while exposing your mind to different eras of images and how architecture or things looked at that time so that even when there is no script involved, you can still dive down deep in your unconscious and come up with that unique design that would hopefully make the viewers go wow. I'm noticing, by the way, when I answer your questions, that I'm, I'm sort of answering another question first, then coming back to it. So I'll do the same here. Sorry, I apologize. <laughs> no but, problem. But as, as you're putting these images up, it's making me think more and more. You know, I was also, as a kid, obsessed, I'll use that word again, with America, like obsessed. Um, you know, I went to the first ever McDonald's, which was in London. There was only one McDonald's in the whole of the UK when I was a kid. It was in London. Because I, I, I was my mum and dad were still married then, and they took me, and you know I really wanted a hamburger, <coughs> excuse me, because you know an American hamburger, and so I was utterly obsessed with anything American, and then sure enough, my first theatre job, this image we're looking at, where is it set? It's set in America, so all these images. I was only twenty when I designed this, but I already had all this Americana in my head, and then of course, where do I live now? America. So this whole visual um, law of attraction, but using, using visual imagery has been so important in my life. But sorry, to go back to what you were saying, yes, some, you know, I do both like TV where there's no script usually and theater, particularly musicals. Um, so with TV, I just have to design something that looks great. There's nothing, it's really all coming out of my head. But of course, with a musical, there's a script. So. This particular one was in America in the 1950s. But, you know, I could be doing something, I don't know, set in uh, Italy and the Renaissance or whatever. Uh, you know, it's very important to, to obviously yeah. read the script and really research the period and make sure the architecture is, is correct or the furniture is correct. So it's weird that I have these two, very few designers do this. There's, a, there's TV designers and there's theater designers. There's very few do both. So I might be working one day on a, on a theater project where I have to be very accurate because it's Victorian and it has to be the exact correct kind of windows. And then the day after I'm doing a game show 
and it's just all completely out of my head with no research yeah. how are you able to balance it out then I don't, I don't know but i love it i love that aspect of what i do because it's the variety is fantastic how are you able to balance out when it comes to making your set look extravagant to the viewers but also you wanted to complement the performer so how are you able to find the balance between the two well that's uh, something i'm actually bad at and you know i've been criticized for that before and i know i'm bad at that and what i mean by that is if you want if it's a, a a play with one actor and the actor is super important which of course they would be anyway in a play um and the background is very insignificant and they want just a simple black curtain and a chair don't hire me because i'm not good at that i i tend to do sets that um god that well look at that 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 scream attention and that's not necessarily good so you know some designers are brilliant at the other aspect at supporting the performer and not overshadowing the performer and of course i've learned to do that as well i mean i i i would never work if i was always overshadowing the performer sure sir and i do believe that this would really benefit aspiring set designers a lot that when you are designing these majestic sets is this an unconscious process for you or do you have to expose your mind to different images or read certain books to harness that creativity and make sure that even when you have a tight deadline you are able to give your best yeah it used to be when i was younger i would spend a fortune on books and and visual but not books with a lot of text photographs right. you know books with lots of images of course and i still have all those books i mean i have a huge like library of those books which of course i never ever use now which is so sad uh, but of course now it's google images it's all day long google images and and i should use pinterest more but i don't really use pinterest i should but um so yeah i tend to if i've got time i'd much and let's say it's a game show or a, an award show so there's no script there's no period i have to adhere to then yeah i'll probably spend quite a bit of time just looking at images modern architecture or anything really i'm just walking around new york the last few days and my phone i'm constantly taking pictures of things um but to be honest most times that i have so little time to design a show that i don't even have time so now i'm really relying on just my experience which of course years and years now um i did something yeah. the other day i had to do it in 2 hours i didn't have a sec i did it here in this hotel i didn't have a second to do any research i just had to knock it out quickly and email it to them i've just got so fast at it now it's crazy how fast i am and that's really because of the computer i mean it's it's experience as well but it's mostly the computer i mean i can do it so fast now with the software i use um but certainly well what's interesting is if i have more time i'll do several designs either for me or sometimes the producer wants to see multiple designs but 9 times out of 10 the first thing i did is the best it's amazing it nearly always the first thing i do is the best all these years i just know what a show needs and you know i've worked for several annoying producers who i won't name of course who make me redesign the show god sometimes 10 12 times it's so frustrating and you know what they nearly always go back to the first or second version and talking about convincing annoying producers i know that you worked on 
American Idol, which initially started out as Pop Idol until it was introduced in America. So was it easy to convince Simon Carl to approve your design or was he just sitting there ready to get the right opportunity to smash that buzzer? He's actually a really nice guy, he really is, genuinely nice guy. Um, of course it wasn't down to just Simon, there was four or five executives to please on that show, which is always hard as well because there's always inner politics and you're trying to please four or five people who have different ideas and there's always going to be at least one or two in that group of five that don't get along or, you know, have some competitive True. thing going on. But no, people often ask me, you know, he's actually a nice guy. And it's funny, you know, if you watch him on TV now, he's really mellowed. I mean, when he first came to the States 18 years ago now, 19 years ago, I mean, he, his um, act, and it was an act because he wasn't really like that, was being the tough guy and rude and, you know, honest but yeah, he's a completely different character on TV now. Much, much nicer yeah. and calmer. And, but sure. yeah, I always thought he was very, very nice. Yeah, he was made a he, point of, yeah. you know, he used to smoke a lot. I don't know if he still does, but so he would go and stand outside the studio to smoke with all the stagehands. So, you know, he was very, he learned everybody's names. A lot of big stars would not hang out with the stagehands. But he did. Right, and that's what makes him the best at it. One can undeniably say that when we talk about judges, he's the first one to come to mind. Now, talking about your most popular and widespread work, take it from American Idol to Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, what kind of patterns do you observe in these sets that you design, which make them so popular that everyone wants to have a piece of it? Hmm. God, uh, well, I mean, I, what I'd like to say is, you know, I came up with such a unique new look that everybody copied it. But honestly, that's not really true. I mean, I was the first person, one of the first, I should say, to do TV in the round. And that was Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? So I can claim that that was very original. Um, nobody had done game shows like that ever before. So, but, but when it comes to the actual look, I don't think I've ever designed anything super groundbreaking in terms of the look, the, 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 the ground plan of being in the round on Millionaire was very groundbreaking. But, but so, yeah, so, certainly when yeah. you do a show that's that high profile, Millionaire particularly, or American Idol, then of course it's gonna get copied. Not so much in the States, a little bit here, but in other countries I really see, you know, and because of YouTube now, I can watch TV from all over the world. And occasionally I'll be looking at something and I'll be, oh wow, that really looks like one of my old sets. Right. And I just want to dig a bit deep with this question. I know you must be thinking, oh, this hairy Indian guy, he's just not letting me go and constantly poking me with these questions. Still, I'm just interested to know, what do you think makes these sets like American Idol, who wants to be a millionaire, so different and unique that this is my personal opinion. When I look at your other work and I look at these sets, I find a difference. The other work, it's a bit extravagant, but when I look at these sets, even as a viewer, the set looks beautiful and majestic like always. But more than that, what I see is that these sets, America's Got Talent and all these are complementing the performer. When the performer is performing, he she looks amazing while performing on that set and it feels as if the set is enhancing that performance. 
well, that's a, such a key part for set designers. You know, there are some performers, again, I won't name names, and some very famous performers who are not that talented, but you put them on a stage like this, it's all psychology, you know, and suddenly they look like a superstar. And now the audience buys that they're a superstar. So it is, set design is really important. Like we said earlier, sometimes it does need to be more background, but other times it's making, it's all psychology. It's all, um, it's almost like religion in a way. If you think of a church, a church is there to impress people. A mosque or a church, any kind of religion, the building that that religion takes place in is designed to impress, even intimidate a little bit. And that's what set design is as well. Because that person, especially if it's one person, if it's Lady Gaga who happens to be talented, so I'm not saying she was, she's the one I was talking about before, but... But say Lady Gaga is standing on a set on her own. She seems godlike if she's on an amazing, intimate, not intimidating, but, you know, impressive church-like set. Right. And for a person with such creative and artistic ideas like you, do you see yourself as doing something more? Is there anything else that you like to design? Because all I can imagine is that a person like you should be designing these monuments or these places of worship because the kind of futuristic mind you have is seriously amazing to watch as a viewer. I don't think, I mean, I've done a few little architectural things and, and other um, things that are not directly related to set design. But I mean, in terms of ambitions, I really want to do more theater. I really want to do more Broadway. That's very much like, you know, maybe I've got 15 more years of my career if I could wave a magic wand or, or use the law of attraction again, it would be that like the last 10 years of my career is Broadway, big Broadway shows. That's what I would love to do. Right. And um, talking, and sir, sorry to interrupt, talking about Broadway. I mean, what about pantomimes? Oh God, I hate pantomimes. <laughs> I'm afraid you leave them. the meeting right now. <laughs> Yeah, anyone, uh, if anyone's watching this in the States, they won't even know what that means, but it's a particularly British tradition. It happens only at Christmas time. I mean, of course, I grew up in pantomimes because both my parents did them every Christmas. So I was the kid running around backstage at pantomimes. Um, and uh, I've actually been asked to do some, when I, particularly when I lived back in England. And, and I you rejected them down. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't turn anything down. I will do anything, honestly. I never, t I make a joke of it. I never turn anything down. But yeah, I have turned down pantomimes. I, I, no, I hate pantomimes. Whenever you'd be naughty as a child, this might be a punishment, you know. Let's take the young Andy to watch some pantomimes. Yeah. I also, yeah, I mean, I did go to a lot as a kid, I suppose. I mean, as a kid, I kind of enjoyed them. It's only when I became an adult, I didn't like them. But that, you know, I work, I work for producers. Right. I've worked for producers that do pantomimes and um, I mean, I've seen some really good ones actually in the last few years. Well, not because pre-COVID. So in the last four years, I've seen the, the ones at the London Palladium and they're the best pantomimes in the world by far. They're very big budget, very lavish. And I was lucky enough to, to be at the opening night of three of those in the last four years and yeah they're they're impressive so i did actually sit there watching those thinking well if i could do one like this i would do it but the, <laughs> most of them are not on that scale most of them are very cheap and crappy do you think that uh, the side that you want your sets to look such vibrant and crackful do you think it 
comes from the side that you weren't given that attention when you were a kid because you described that you learned more from the entertainers that came to stay in the top part of your house yeah i mean i didn't get a lot i mean of course not not saying my parents ignored me but yeah i didn't get a lot of attention particularly but i don't think so because most performers you know you can nearly always trace back with performers that they didn't there was a problem with their childhood they didn't get attention they had an older sister or brother who got all the attention or you know most performers really need attention it's like a big psychological issue with them and i don't feel like i'm like that at all um but then maybe i am maybe that's like i maybe it's shy attention like i said earlier please look at my sets but don't look at me and going back to a previous point you shared about not being in contact with your mother how are you able to block out this noise these circumstances because the kind of experience that you've been exposed to at a very young age it's i've seen many creative artists dissolve themselves into unhealthy habits and you look healthy as ever so how are you able to not let those experiences affect you and sort of block out this noise so that you can keep on carrying on with your life because i see you are really good and effective at doing it i think all designers not even designers artists once you're creating something say you're doing a drawing which i rarely do anymore with hand but say you you have a big piece of paper and you're doing a drawing you could be a kid doing a drawing you just go into that world now with me it's on a computer screen but it's amazing i kind of like I could work for hours, sometimes 12 hours a day. Well, not sometimes, often 12 hours a day, but it feels like 3 hours and it doesn't feel like work even because I kind of get sucked into this world. And now I'm using, you know, computer technology. It's like a video game. <coughs> Excuse me, but I'm creating the 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 video game. So I'm in this fake world, literally inside my set. Now I'm doing everything with computer. Um I mean I don't wear goggles, but I can see a day when you know we wear virtual reality goggles while we're designing i mean that already is happening actually right but uh, so yeah so i guess really anyone who's doing anything creative i'm sure it's the same if you're writing music or writing a poem you just get sucked into that world probably people who write books as well you get sucked into the world you've created i'm sure jk rowling she may have had all sorts of problems in her life when she was younger and broke and writing those harry potter books but can you imagine True. the what she was in that world she escaped from reality in that world so that's what i do every day i escape any sort of problems i guess by being inside my set yeah in, i mean still- inside my set in a computer screen i mean and then eventually i get to walk around my set for real sure and i can imagine it must be a great feeling for you to see the virtual creation being made into a physical one and all i want to say is for any aspiring set designer listening please do check out andy sir's website as well as instagram both of the links would be in the description you can check out his amazing work and the way you show the behind the scenes process of building these sets is quite educational for anyone interested in it yeah you know what might be a good thing to end on So you know I always used to make models from cardboard like well originally as we've talked about Lego but then cardboard when I became professional and then in the last um 17 18 years all computer and um and I've got very good and very quick at making these extremely detailed models on computer and now there's um a program called Unreal Engine 
that I'm sure a lot of your viewers will know about, which is basically a game engine. Uh, it's a game, it's where computer games are designed with this software. And I'm using yep. that now and have been for about three years now. So because of that technology, and this will never happen in theater, but in the TV world, what's happening, and it's a, it's a slow process, but I honestly believe in the next five or 10 years, um, there won't be many sets being built in television. And what I mean by that, this is a sort of virtual reality world where the performer stands on a green screen or in a green screen studio, and then the set is completely computer generated. And the viewer at home has no clue. I mean, anyone who watches Mandalorian, that's exactly how the Star Wars Mandalorian is done right now. And right. Some of the projects. I even commented on one of your Instagram posts where you showcase that and I said it looks uh, futuristic and he said yeah that's the future of set design yeah it really is and I'm already doing it now um, and I have a separate set a uh, separate website for that called XR this technology is called XR extended reality it stands for so xrsetdesign.com is my separate website just for that technology but yeah I can see in the next five years I'll be doing more and more and it will be kind of interesting that perhaps towards the end of my career, that's maybe all I'll be doing is building these models that I build myself. And then they're put through a computer and a guy standing or a whole bunch of performers standing on a green screen will be inserted into my model. And that's what the viewer will see at home. So the sets will never be built for real. It will be my model that the viewers at home see. And how funny to have come from Lego at the beginning, making Lego sets to now building the actual computer environment in my computer that the viewer sees at home. So that's a real progression of technology. So yeah, I think sure. I do think that's the future. In some respects, I don't want it to be the future because it's going to um, really cause chaos in the industry. There's a lot of people and companies in the industry that won't be needed anymore, and that's not good. But it's progress i guess and, and rather than me sure. especially as i'm getting older now rather than me sort of reject that technology i am fully embracing it because it's coming whether we like it or not that te technology is coming just like driverless vans and and all the automation in life that's coming it's coming whether we like it or not i do believe that's one of your great qualities of adapting to such changes and that's what makes you best started even after reading about you and the kind of experiences that you have shared just now, I enjoyed being a part of this and couldn't be more grateful for your time. All I want to say is, sir, keep on creating such wonderful work. We'll always look forward to it. I enjoyed each and every minute of this conversation. Hope you had a great time as well. Absolutely. And I'm glad we didn't talk too much about set design. We really got into depth about some of the like less pleasant parts of my life which is good it's like more interesting sometimes to learn about me rather than the stupid sets i design sure sir that's one of my main aim is to show the real authentic side of a human being because even for working like you said 10 to 12 hours daily on your desk in you must need the interviewer not to talk about your sets, but rather know you as a person, that this is who Andy Formsley is. And I hope I'm able to do it, do a good job. Definitely, you did. Thank you. Yeah, it's much more fun. That's why I haven't done many interviews. I don't want to talk about, you know, how great I am at being a set designer. It's, uh, yeah, so that's why I haven't done many interviews at all. 
And the thing I sent you, the big giant file, is going to be, I've never done um, talks like in public, but I've been asked to do a couple lately. So I think next year I'm going to do some. Um, and that's what that file was I sent you. It's me uh, beginning to build a uh, PowerPoint so I can actually stand in a room of live people and and do a talk about all of this. Not, with, not the emphasis on my work, really, but the emphasis on the law of attraction, the way that I've dreamt my whole life and those dreams came true. Not because, yes, because I'm lucky uh, and not because I'm talented because I'm not talented at all, but just because I'm obsessive. If you obsess over something, you will get it. That's that's how I would leave this interview. It could be the house I want to buy next year, or it could be a job you want, or it could be the the partner of your dreams. But if you obsess and really focus, you'll get it. It it really does work. And how are you able to apply the law of attraction when you have to complete things of equal importance at the same time? God, I don't know. I'm like I said before. I can sort of switch off when I'm in my world of designing and that's when my brain can start thinking about other things plus you know i don't know in the shower most people sing in the shower i don't i start fixating on what i'm what i want and it might just be yeah. uh, i want a bowl of soup after my shower or it might be i want to design a broadway show but i'm always thinking about what I would like to happen. That's a really good point you make because even in my case, I used to visualize having such talented and exceptional guests like you while sitting on the toilet seat. And even right now, one can't tell whether I'm sitting on the toilet seat or not because there's no back support here. Although that's a whole different story. Still, the moment I get my own show, you would be the person to go to because I know you would not only design it brilliantly, but also give me a great discount. Yeah, uh, no disrespect to your background there, but um, the foam soundproof tiles, yeah, you could do a little better. Oh, now exactly. you have me on. You need, you know, you need to up the game of your background, your set. You need a set. I, I want to see a little improvement in your background next time I watch one of your shows. Wait till you see the rest of the room. It looks like a place where a murderer would hide his bodies. The problem is I bunged all of my art classes. So that's why I have no artistic knowledge left. I just stick these black foams on the wall thinking they'll do their job. And now every time I step in this room, it feels as if I'm staring at a bunch of black nipples, probably of a 13 year old. Nevertheless, it was an amazing experience to have you as our guest, Andy, sir. And I wish nothing but even more future success coming your way would always look forward to your work yeah i'm not i'm not done yet so yeah you'll you'll be able to see either on my website or on instagram everything i do i post everything so yeah you've got at least 10 or 15 more years of seeing what i do so yeah please keep watching right sir and i believe you are currently working on the nick cannon show I've been a huge fan of his comedy as well as his work on America's Got Talent. The way he used to dress up as a mime artist in between. That was such a unique and hilarious moment to experience. Not only that, as a fan I'm saying this, later on during the last seasons when he was hosting the show, I felt as if he became a bit lousy in terms of asking similar questions to various performers. And one could see in his body language that he wanted to be involved in something where he had a lot of say in, although he always had a magnetic personality. And I'm so happy to see that now he's doing his own show and he has this wonderful chat show coming up. 
and I personally can't wait to see how it unfolds. Just give me his phone number or email. I want to be his co-host so bad. I'm so needy. <laughs> yeah, I'm working on Just, that now. Um, that's that's why I'm here in New York. He's doing a new uh, daytime chat show. And um, it's a really interesting set, though I say it myself. It's very, um, because of his personality, it's very colorful and it's very, like I was talking about before, I have done some sets that are very subtle, but subtlety is not my um, expertise. This is a very in-your-face, bright colors, wacky, um, especially for a daytime chat show. They don't usually look like this. So I'm actually really excited. It starts on TV in about four weeks, three weeks time, I think now. So I'm here for another two and a half. Well, yeah, I'm here for another three weeks. So it starts in three weeks. Yeah. So I'm sure anybody anywhere in the world will be able to see it on YouTube, of course, or at least clips of it on YouTube um, like a month from now. Lastly, all I can think of is that having such a creative and a unique mind like you inside the house, it must be a relief for your wife to have such a person who has a great eye for detail because no one would have to worry about the furniture sitting and all that because you're so good at it. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, she is an amazing when it comes to clothing. She's like a fashionista. But when it comes to our house, which like I say, we don't have a house yet. When, when we hopefully buy our house next year, you better believe it's going to look amazing. I mean, it has to. You can't be a set designer and not have an amazing looking house. So yeah, it's, it's, I can't wait to finally, for the first time in my life, finally own a house and be able to pimp it out, just make it look amazing so that people will come in and go, oh yeah, this is what a set designer's house should look like. That's what my law of attraction is right now. That's all I'm thinking about, utterly obsessed with. Every time I see a, 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 a lamp or a chair or a, a wallpaper or something, I'm like collecting all these images, way too many really to, to have in a house, but I'm going to have to pick and choose. But yeah, that's my thing. I can't wait to finally own a house. Yeah, crazy. Can't wait, never... yeah, can't wait to see it. And thank you for talking. Oh, yeah. I will be, this. I will be posting photographs of it. Yeah. When it's finished. Awesome. Awesome. It's gonna take, it's, look once forward. I buy the house, it's probably going to take at least six months to dececorate it, make it look great. So it's going to be a while yet. Yeah. One can I do imagine. Have, by the way, I will have one room in the house. This I'm determined. One room that's dedicated to my Muppet collection, which I'm calling how, the Muppet. How room. many you have right now? Oh, I have thirty something puppets and autographs and all that kind of stuff as well. So just like these geeky guys you see who have a Star Wars room in their basement, I'm gonna have a Muppet room. Right. So, and yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, you and your Muppets—that's a whole different story. I I know. I mean, yeah. Does your significant other is able to appreciate your passion and interest for Muppets? Yes, I see. One of the reasons I married her, yes, she loves the Muppets. And actually, when I proposed to her, I had uh, somebody make me a little box that was like, um, you open it and inside it was all the little Muppets and one of them was holding the ring. So even, yeah. I, and then when we got married, when we left, when we walked after the ceremony, when we walked down the aisle, it was to the Muppet Show theme. So yeah, I probably have a bit of a problem, but it could be worse. I could have oh. way worse problems. Yeah. And at and least it's not Star Wars. I personally don't know a thing about Star Wars or Game of Thrones, and that's what all my friends talk about. So basically we are just two loners stuck with each other. Anyways, 
it was so wonderful to have you as our guest, Andy, sir. And I personally can't wait to look forward to your future home as well as your work. For all of you out there, if you want to watch a video version of this conversation, do check out our YouTube channel. And if you want to watch one or two minute snippets of our video conversation, check out our Instagram page whose link would be in the description of this episode. I can't wait to share this episode with people out there because I know aspiring set designers would gain a lot of value from it. And last but not the least, thank you for sharing your time with us and have a nice day. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Keep up the good work. Sure, sir. (laughs) Always. Thank you very much. Bye. Thank you. Bye. With this, we end our episode 9 with the amazing Andy Wormsley. Do check out his work on the website and if you're listening to us on Apple Podcast, feel free to leave us a review. It would help us in what we do. And if you're listening it on Spotify or any other streaming platform, feel free to subscribe for future episodes. Thank you for listening and have a great day.